reading from Ecclesiastes 11. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However, many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart in whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The kids are invited to kids' church with Emily today. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. That's the next line in, that picks up um, where, where Car Car Carla stopped reading. And it was a hard line to figure, does that go 
with the end of what Kohelet, who we've been calling the, er, who calls himself the teacher in Ecclesiastes. So the Hebrew word for him, uh, he says at the beginning, and the teacher calls him Kohelet. And so we've been going with the name Kohelet. Um, And so these are the final words of Kohelet this Sunday. But it picks up that, that everything is meaningless, says the teacher. So the narrator with the says the teacher, comes back in at that last scene as well. So I I cut it off, and then I put it back in. Carla and I text seven times. I said, no, do it. No, don't do it. Do it, no, don't do it. Uh, And it was great, and it was evidence of meaningless, meaningless. (laughs) Everything is meaningless. Um, And yet that that is sort of where the book begins to end. And so we have, this is our um, 11th sermon in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've heard the whole thing read out loud. And actually at this point, we've heard all of it read out loud because when we've been reading the frame narrator's ending every Sunday, we've heard all of Ecclesiastes read out loud and you're still here. (laughs) And we still say, thanks be to God. Um, and we still live into that space together. Um, and so it's been a great summer. And so we, this Sunday, will dive into the final words of, of the teacher, of the one who sort of comes to us at this time. Next Sunday, frame narrator. Following Sunday, uh, David's going to take all 12 sermons and summarize them in 10 minutes. Um, and, then, uh, and then we'll start the book of Jonah in the fall for a little bit of where we're going. Um, but this theme from Ecclesiastes, which comes from the frame narrator, fear God and keep his commandments, sort of pulls more close to this section than I think any other section. Ecclesiastes, or here he's going to, to bring up judgment, which he, he hasn't quite brought up quite clearly. He's going to speak of God as creator in this lack, last section, who so far in Ecclesiastes has sort of been deity, the deity out there. Um, here he, he names him as creator. Out of character, it seems a little bit, he says to the people to rejoice, to rejoice in the time that they have. Says the man who earlier said, um, you know, better to have been stillborn than to, to really see the light. He brings his teaching back around to this point. It was, it was hard because, you know, as I, I've been preaching this, I feel like I contra- contradict myself but it doesn't help that the writer contradicts himself as well. Um, it makes it harder to grasp with those things. And in this final section, this word that we've been talking about appears again, this, this notion of, uh, we sang Vapor this morning. Rachel uh, was the one who picked that out when we start the series. She was like, do you know the song Vapor by Gunger? And I was like, I do. Do you think you could lead it? And she was like, yes, I think I can. And so uh, it's been a pleasure to have that. And we were talking about it this morning. But, but that word, uh, Hebel, appears many times in this section. There's, there's a translation I picked up that I hadn't read so um, far, and they translated it you're, at that point. It says, life is purposeless. I was like, for some reason when I read it that time, I was like, that stings. Because um, uh, we want to have that purpose there. But, but what, what he's referring to again and again is this attempt to sort of grasp to take hold, that God has set him, eternity in our hearts, and we're always seeking to make sense of it all. But in, in Vapor, the song, and in, in that text in 3, he says that's where human frustration lies, is that we see smoke, 
we see vapor. Vanity comes from the Latin and Jerome. Most translations don't use that word anymore. It had a different connotation then. Um, meaninglessness. And we reach out and we say there must be something there. There must be something we can grab to make sense, to know that life is working, that there is purpose. And what he says, you see it. And then the second you go to grab for it, you reach through it. You pass through it. We've been trying to name that, that what Kohelet is doing is counter-testimony to what we received in Proverbs. It's counter-testimony to what um, other scriptures teach. This is not the normative position of the Israelite life to say that, you know, everything is frustrating, life is purposeless, these type of things. And that's, it's why that, that frame narrator section that sets Kohelet's words is so important. It's also why we've talked uh, at times about perhaps this book comes out of time of exile. And we, we exist in our own exiles. For some reason, I was at a, at a men's retreat in Texas this week, which I can say more about some other day. But, but one of the things um, uh, that, that was a theme, I think, for, for a lot of the men there is that they, they had home disrupted in some way. Maybe their childhood home, maybe their adult home, Maybe their own failures or exposures have been revealed. Maybe uh, uh, somebody else's had called home to be fractured. And what their hearts had found was a season of exile. And, and for some reason, because I'm a nerd, we, I was explaining Paul Tillich's sermon, You Are Accepted to Them. And lest you think I'm a fan, Stanley Harwas, I believe, has a sermon that says, You Are Not Accepted. So uh, it's not my favorite sermon. But Tillich divides sin and the sense of alienation we feel in from alienation from self alienation from others, and alienation from God. That this sense of exile works in three-formed ways, and if this, this text is born out of that exile, this three-formed ways in which we as readers can be exiled as the Jews were from home, from stability and place. We can be exiled from ourselves, living fake lives, trying to keep that 2% of our own autonomy alive so that we can have our private sin or enjoyment that spoils the whole thing. We talked about that last week with the little fly and the ointment. Um, or we can be alienated from God. I mean, most of it always roots in that. And it denies the flourishing that we would have if we had come to our creator who has given us breath, in the words of this final passage, our breath returns to him. And so we have um, the ways in which uh, we live in those exiles. And, and it was, I forget who came up with this first. It was probably somebody in the first, well, it's ingrained in the Bible pattern that there is home, there is exile, and then there is a home on the other side of exile. That, that's, that, that's where our longing is pointing to often, is that, is that we want that place again. The problem is sentimentality, which I've uh, tried to argue Ecclesiastes should be breaking us from all sentimentality, is, says, I want it like it used to be. But the fracturing, the breaking, the damage needs to be absorbed into that new sense of integration on the other side. So as I was with the men this week, and I think a lot of them were like, how do I go back? You can't go back. But you can go forward into new home and new hope new hopefulness if you're willing to walk the road of healing, if you're willing to walk that path. Uh, a, a quote that, that I had thought of this week, uh, many times during the sermon, and I've, I've had a hard time making sense of it myself, but also a hard time of thinking how to say it, so I'll say it, 
and you find your own meaning in it, okay? Um, uh, um, it's, it's from Kierkegaard, in which you might have heard it before, is that, that life can only be understood backwards. Philosophers, he says, are right. Life can only be understood backwards. But it can only be lived forward. And so we struggle because the one step we could take to understand life is backwards, and that step is not accessible to us. Pre-time machine. Time machine, maybe. But in the moment, the, the t- that step to go backwards is not there for us. So we live in this bind of that we're able to, in some sense, understand ourselves, even if dimly, backwards. But life must be lived forwards. So Kohelet would come sit by Kierkegaard and say, you found it. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's the struggle of life in that. And so today we, we sort of come to these final words of Kohelet to sort of listen to his final teaching for us and what he's had for us in this, in this place um, uh, and, and how he's sort of instructed us in this way in which creation is frustrating for us. It's hard to find permanence in life in these ways. Um, one of the themes that will come up this Sunday um, is uh, this, this thing which I've used before, which is so often we try to read Scripture as a unified story, um, and yet I've tried to argue that perhaps it's better for us to read Scripture unified in the ways in which God relates to us. And classically, theologically, the way in which God relates to us is through creating us, redeeming us, and consummating us bringing out that future consummation. Now, the frame narrator will use consummation, God's future judgment and revealing at the end. Um, Kohelet is only really playing with one of these threads, this creates thread. Most of wisdom literature, Job 2, you'll find, is heavily invested in creation. There isn't in Job those appeals to like, hey, Job, remember when we were in Israel and God rescued us? They're not dealing with redemptive literature. They're not often, in Ecclesiastes, or Proverbs, even in its own way, um, with an ordered universe um, where things work, is also not dealing with, like, that future eschatological glory, the final glory, that end fulfillness. It just says that, that if we set our hearts aright and aim well in life, that things will even out for us in the end, that we can continue to walk the path. And what Kohelet says in one way and Ecclesiastes says in another way is, there is frustration in that. And yet the world is still fallen. So you find that in, in these. So Kohelet reminds us of the creator. He, he calls us to remember the creator at the end. And I think that's another hint that this three-formed way is the way in which we might find beneficial ways to read scripture um, as looking at what is these texts saying to us. Because if you're reading Bible as a story and you get to Ecclesiastes, it just sounds like somebody can get the story. Um, somebody didn't, somebody get, and, and Psalms will fall into that boat too. And that it's like, oh, they're dealing with partial truth. And, and then if it's a story, of, if you're dealing with partial truth, you're missing the plot, which I would argue they're not missing the plot. They're missing one of the strands in which God relates to us. Um, and so that, that sort of will come forth for us to this today too. Um, but I want to today uh, walk through the text um, and then Rachel, who is gone, and Jonathan, who is gone, are going to play a song. I think they remember that, right? Okay. Um, and then we'll do uh, the finals. One's in the office and one's in the 
the nursery. Um, uh, uh, sorry, so uh, what I want to do is, is walk through the, the, the story that Carla read for us and then give some summarizing thoughts that, that maybe we can begin with. So this, this morning's text, this final section, started with something that maybe could have gone in the last section. It's a bit of a, an advice thing too, but it has its own flavor to it. it he's talking about um, shipping your grain across the sea. Some, some people's translations will have bread in there and some people's will have grain. Um, and after many days, you receive a turn, invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight, you do not know which disasters may come upon the land. And this, um, the reason why I'm going to walk through the text, and I should do it fast because I can over-explain, as you know, but um, so much of it here we don't know. Like this analogy itself, ship your grain across the land, sounds like he's giving you solid investment advice. Invest in plastics. Um, ship your grain across the land. And after many days, he was seen to turn invention seven or eight, yes. And essentially what he's saying, if you read it in the investment scheme sort of way, which Kohelet certainly could do, he just previously said money is the solution to everything, um, is to say that like you don't know how things are going to work out. And so better to, to be invested across the sea in some other place and better to be invested, um, what do they call it in, in finance, diversified, or have you been diversified in your investments? Um, uh, and so you could read it that way, but the, for if you have bread in your translation, which is somewhat common, does anybody have bread who's reading? Yeah. Um, it sounds like an invitation to charity. It's to throw your bread to the sea, and you don't know where it'll end up. And if you have excess, throw it to seven or eight people. Share widely. And this is the way the rabbis um, uh, took it, is to, is to say that um, in some sense, generosity is one of those things that escapes meaningless and vaporlessness. This might be a way in which you can do it. It's Jesus picks this teaching up in one of his more, I think, um, uh, bizarre teachings in a parable. He says, people who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal homes. This instruction that Kohelet is giving us to sort of give away your bread, to cast it out, to not be concerned with where it ends up. One of my favorite stories is from uh, probably apocryphal of, of C.F. Lewis and... Um, J.R. Tolkien walking through England and a, and a homeless man or bum or whatever asks them for money. C.S. Lewis gives him all the money he has and, and Tolkien turns to him and says, why'd you do that? Uh, he's going to spend it all on beer and Lewis says, well, better him than me. Um, uh, which is this idea that like, you know, you, you give out of that. He had seven and that man came to him that day and he had eight. You give freely to be welcomed into eternal homes. Um, that's one way in which we can begin to think um, uh, through that passage. Uh, if clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whenever a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. So get to work. Kohelet <laughs> um, here has a sense in which like... Um, Again, investment-wise, you can look at like, hey, if you didn't start, does anybody know the, the tree thing? When's the best time to play, plant a tree? 20 years ago. Uh, when's the second best time to, today? 
Um, like, Kohelet would like that, is that like, hey, if you didn't plant the tree 20 years ago, big mistake. Um, but the next best time for you is to dig and plant a tree today. Um, and so this is, this is, you can read that in the investment way, I think, still, but I think as we get to near to the end of the book, um, I think he's playing less Dave Ramsey and more um, wise sage who's sort of saying, like, get to work at what it is you want to reap and harvest. You want kids, don't wait forever. You want to be happy pursuing something, get started along the ways. I spent... Uh, Six years in Oregon, I spent three of them wanting to surf and then three of them surfing. Um, would have been better to, to banish my illusions of surfing in the first three years and enjoy six years of it. Um, that's, uh, Kohelet would never say this. I'm pretty sure he'd smack me if I said it, but is that journey of a mile starts with the, the thousand miles starts with the single sub. He'd be like, there's no journey though. Tricks on you. Um, uh, you're not going anywhere, um, but at least he'd be saying here, it's like, get started along that path. Begin to move in that way. And you don't know, uh, it, it's funny that, that he uses wind again in this next part, and you don't know the, the path of the wind or how a body is formed into those rooms, so you can't understand the work of the maker of all things, that we don't understand these things. And so if you're thinking that tree will be there, that investment will be there, that opportunity to be good and great, that opportunity to, to cherish holding your children or to love in that way will be there, we don't know if it will be there, so do it today. Um, we don't know that. But, but he uses wind here, which I, I like that he brought that word back because he previously said in some translations that, that what we're trying to do and find meaning in life is like trying to shepherd the wind. To try and be the shepherd who directs the winds and the waves of the world. When you put it that way, um, when you look at like what you're trying to do with your life's project, and all its optimism, and somebody comes to you saying, you're too far ahead, you might be trying to shepherd the wind, I think a realization comes on to the frustratingness of that. Um, you don't know if that'll be there, so, so get into that today. Um, they know where babies came from. That was, a, for some reason, a commentator mentioned that. They weren't, like, oblivious to that. Um, uh, uh, so you cannot, but there was this way in which the formation of it was hidden from them, how it came to be. Um, deep truths hidden is, is something Kohelet alludes to often, and he finds our, our attempts to grasp that truth like Blaper. So your seed in the morning and in the evening, let your hands not be idle, for you don't know, know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether they both will do equally. A good summary of this portion of the teaching, you know, Start on that thing. Make your way in that thing. Spread wildly. Do the investment, if that's what he's talking about, or do the kindness. Do the good thing. Do this. Purchase your friends in heaven for the wealth while you have it because you don't know if you'll have the wealth tomorrow. Um, and that, it's, it's funny because that's like it, it comes in two ways. One, right? Like, I don't know if I'll have the wealth tomorrow because um, I could spend it on something else. It could disappear, this, that, and the other. What I find that I often miss is that you could be forced to spend it on something else. A medical emergency could happen. You could have to take a trip somewhere to meet someone because of something that you've done or, or need to do, or that um, uh, your car could break. 
you know, the, this way in which you, you sort of just store, and this is one of the early teachings we paired with Jesus. We build bigger and bigger storehouses, and yet we don't know that that life, our night, our life is demanded from us. This seems like a break in a, to a different poem. Light is sweet, says Kohelet. Um, and it pleases the eye to see the sun. This is the portion that I think makes up more of this ending portion. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. This is a beautiful teaching. That light is sweet. And it pleases our eyes to see them. And no matter how many years you live, take the time to enjoy them all. I think it's a powerful way. I mean, this is the type of thing that it's like, what would I cross-stitch from Ecclesiastes? Maybe this. Um, or I'd purposely edit something so it didn't even have any goodness. This one does have the negative coming if you're reading ahead up there. Um, but he at least is sort of like that there's sweetness in this light that sheds across creation. It pleases the eye to see the sun. However many years you may live, enjoy them all. Find enjoyment in God's creation. This theme of joy and remembering are going to be in creatorship or the three main sermons we'll come back to at the end. So I'll say that for now. Um, uh, but this is his, his positive. I, w- I would say one more thing is that he says, however many years one may live, let them enjoy them all. He's going to give vice to youth next. Um, he's going to say in your youth, in your youth. Largely in wisdom literature, that means everyone. It's, it's normally, wisdom literature comes in the way, and you'll see it again in the frame narrator next week, comes from an elder giving advice to a younger. Um, one of our, our catches here at, De, is at Defiance Church is that, is that notion, one of our five is tradition. Like that, that something comes from another spot before us and we receive it where we are. That, that, that wisdom comes in a traditioned way. So when he says use later, keep this teaching in mind where it's like all of us have this upon us. He's adopting the elder youth idea so that, he, um, that we see that wisdom is not invented on our own or realized in our own past, but something we receive from that which is out of us. Um, but let them remember the days... Yeah, okay, here's, here he comes. Uh, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Um, there's a truth that is hard there, that we can numb ourselves, as we've talked about, the ways in which we can sort of medicate ourselves in the modern world, distract ourselves, bring ourselves to other joys and realities to, to then sort of say, life is fun, but it's not hard word fun, it's distracted fun. It's numbing fun. It's an anesthesiologist fun. And so when he says, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Um, I try not to sit there. Um, and like, I try not to sit there in the sense of like, uh, this is a day of darkness. What's on Netflix? Um, this is a day of darkness. There's a new golf league starting. I should put that on. This is a moment of darkness with a friend or a peer, 
And the only thing I can think of is the next thing I can do when I can get home, drink, take a shower, work out. I mean, I, like, it's, it's Christians, it's hard because we often think of idolatry in forms that are only negative. But like the positive things can be just as much idols as well. Um, you know, I'm going to go work out so I don't have time for this. And it's like, well, your body's going to fall apart. We're going to find out in this next section. But to be able to sit and remember the days of darkness for there were many. And, and that'll, I think, make the joy, Sean, all, all the brighter. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and, and whatever your eyes sees. Um, this is not parental advice. Um, that's why we send the kids downstairs. But no, for all these, th- the last part is more parental advice. But no, for that and all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Um, in, in the I- Israelite literature, if, you're, if you've read uh, around it, the way I, of following your eyes and the heart is always this way in which the Jews go astray. Israel goes astray. When it says they followed their eyes and their heart, they generally go off the rails in ways in which they should not go. Um, and so him being created and not redemption or consummated, it's dangerous advice he's willing to give, although he gives it with, with the condition that, that, that know that in all these things, God will bring you into judgment for what you have, have done. Um, the rabbis on this passage have this interesting way of saying that when you are called before God to give an accounting for what you've done, the main thing you'll be giving account for is what you didn't take joy in. Just a thought I had never thought of. Where did I turn away from that sin? Where did I do productive work? Where did I um, give away to the homeless or do the other things? Where did I, in some ways, be a responsible citizen? But because God has created and has given a space and time for joy, Kohelet has seven carpe diem teaches about receiving the joy, resting in joy, being in that, that we might be called to account for the joy that we didn't celebrate in the beautiful giftedness of the life that God has given us. For me, it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call to step into that joy. The, the speaker at the, the retreat, where one of the speakers had just given a uh, sermon series on defiant joy. And if you know me, I'm just pumped whenever the word defiant or defiance shows up anywhere positive in Christianity. So that's all I have to say about that. No. Um, defiant joy is hard-won joy. When Paul and Philippians, what, um, Jonathan read that? You read that during the worship set, right, Rachel? Philippians um, says, rejoice, rejoice always. It's a rejoicing that knows the cross. It's a rejoicing that knows that there are powers and principalities and things which wreak havoc in the world. And so the joy is not that kind of soft joy, but it is defiant joy to do it in the face of all that says this world is not joyful. To pick up that kind of joy is to live not numbed, not blinded, not as the ostrich with its head in the sand, but to live in this defiant joyousness that can capture our lives. Um, 
This, I think, just to go back to one of the things we've talked about, I think is born somewhat out of memento mori to that notion that remember that you will die. That if you can keep that in perspective, um, um, you can have that sort of defiant joy in your life. Um, and the last part of that, this, I think, is so important for our world. Then, so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are meaningless. We've had enough of that. The, the, the reality of defiant joy... Knowing, and, and there's a way in which we can participate in the imagination of the cross in such a way to say that the worst thing that the world can suffer has already happened in the way in which humanity has extinguished the divine light. That is Jesus Christ. The way in which we have sought to banish that. And so when we begin to say, um, I've been baptized into that death, I've been moved into that space, then I can banish anxiety from my heart because I already know who went to hell in Orthodox theology, um, but went to the underworld or however you want to say it, like that, that, that I know that somebody who's been to the depths, somebody who instructs us not to worry about tomorrow, for today has enough trouble of its own. Defiant joy brings us into the banishment of, of anxiety as best as we can. Remember your creator from the days of the youth before the devils come and the years you will say, I find no pleasure for them. This is where it's important to remember from the days of your youth is in your days. Old or young here today, remember your creator. Because days will come as the dark days come, you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the moon and the light and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong man stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and through looking through the windows grow thin, when the doors of the street are closed and the sound of grinding frays, when people rise up at the sound of the birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of the heights and of the dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossom, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer stirred, the people go to their hernal terms and the mourners go out about the street. This is one of these passages where it declines. It's, it's describing decreation. Remember your creator. For as we waste away, we see decreation in the world. Remembering your creator can be the key in which it rescues us from that. Now, um, these images and, and the next set of images in the final part of this passage, um, we, we struggle to define. Um, we're not quite sure what it means that the grasshopper drags itself along. Um, there's a way in which this is the body wasting away. All of these are metaphors for body parts failing over time. There's a way in which these are a town beginning to close itself down to go to a funeral or a situation of mourning, or a town beginning to fade into oblivion itself. It could be about the soul as it sort of goes through these patterns, or a home a home as it's fallen into disrepair over time. It could be about, and, and I think this is the one that I think captures best all of those. Um, it's about th the cosmos sort of fading. And it could be fading in the light of your own one individual death. It could be fading in the light of, of the fact that um, it exists dependent upon a creator and, and there's this time in which it, it wanes. It could be fading in all these ways. But for Kohalati, it's describing the ways in which 
Time inevitably causes things to fade and diminish in time. Some days I think about, like, when the sun blows up, how long does it take for it to reach us? Um, a, I'll Google it later. <laughs> I was hoping one of you knew. Seven Eight, seven minutes. That's not really enough time to do anything. So it's not, everything is purposeless. The, uh, uh, give or take, give or take. Um, uh, Alul um, has this phrase, I want to talk about this creator thing and remembering that to sort of end the sermon one with the final text too, but remember your creator. Only here does uh, Kohelet call him by the name and does so by design. You may consider yourself autonomous, but you are incapable of knowing what should be done, incapable of knowing what wisdom is. You are a creature. Our problems do not stem from our failure to stay in our garden like Canada Day, which is a reference to a book by Voltaire, but all the evils uh, I ch- and I choose my words carefully, the evils of the world stem from taking ourselves to be the creator. He says in a different passage that every time you become the creator, you become the destroyer, which I think is powerful from Clue. And I don't know if anybody else remembers this, but when Oppenheimer, I think he sees the atomic bomb drop, I don't know if it's in a test or when it actually drops, he quotes from the Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu sacred scriptures tap, and he says, I have become death the destroyer of worlds. Those scientists who, who thought of themselves as creators of this new form of, of destruction or whatever they were thinking, when one of the leading scientists, Oppenheimer, sees it, he sees, we've thought of ourselves as creators. We have become death, the destroyer of worlds. Lou also reminds us that we mainly create by rearranging things that God created, which is like, then you're not really a creator. <laughs> You're just rearranging the things in which God has given you. But here it is that I think we find that, that life is found outside of ourselves. Kohelet in the end will say that our breath returns to God. One of the most powerful images that I've ever gotten for thinking through what does it mean to be created is that we live by borrowed breath. We live by borrowed breath. The time, the space, our creation comes from the fact, and, and, and God speaks everything else into being, but that at one point he stoops down and breathes into dust. We come and live and subsist by breath and things that are not our own, but that are borrowed. And because of this, um, there was another thinker pointed to the house this week that, that renunciation is perhaps one of the ways we move into becoming more into shalom and peace and goodness. If it's our creating, if it's our busyness, if it's this, um, we begin to claim and not think about that. But if we accept that we have a creator, then we accept that there's a design, that there are natural limits, that there are national uh, things in which we uh, find destructive, and then there are paths in which we walk to find holiness, wholeness and holiness, and that those things reside in who God is, in knowing that story of living in that place. And so he re- ends for us, remember before the silver cord is severed. And, and Jared asked me about these at Bible study, and I said, I got seven options, which one do you want? Um, <laughs> So, but I think they, hearing them, you understand them. 
like cords severed, pictures shattered, wheels broken. Like, I'm going to read them. I'm going to read them slowly. Like, we could invent theories and biblical study scholars have because that's what they get paid to do to understand what they have. But, like, I think just hearing them, you understand what he's talking about. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. So I think remembering that we are creatures, we subsist on borrowed breath and the way in which that invites us into uh, renunciation, but also delight and wonder and perseverance with God. And then that call for defiant joy, to have joy in the space that's honest. And so the song that Rachel and Jonathan, Emily, if you guys want to make your way up, um, I referenced it in a sermon and Rachel in all her wisdom again came and said, you know, I can play that song. I said, yeah, but it's very sad. Um, and she said, well, I can do it anyways. Uh, and so she's going to play it for us. And you're going to hear um, joy, 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 Dan in my heart, like you've never heard it before. And then you're going to hear a lament. And then I'll, I'll leave the surprise for you for where it finishes. Um, but the last thing I wanted to say um, is today is this, this quote from the back of the bulletin that I think names what you're going to hear in this song and names what Kahal it's been about. Only when one loves life in the earth so much that everything seems to be lost in its end, may one believe, only then may one believe in the resurrection of the dead and a new world. Only when you've loved it so much and it all seems lost at its end, then we can break open our hearts and hear the glorious good news of the resurrection of the dead and the new world to come. Uh, you guys can play. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so happy, so very happy. And I'm so happy, so happy, so very happy. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. And I'm so happy, 
so happy, so very happy. And I'm so happy, so happy, so very happy. And I can't understand, and I can't pretend that this will all be all right in the end. So I'll try my best and lift up my chest to sing about this joy, joy, joy. When peace like a Attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well, it is well with my soul. Pray. God, you, as Father, have created us and given us borrowed breath and called us into joy into a world that seems so broken and frustrated and angry. One that many times we try to grasp with our hands, yet it is like smoke and fleeting. And yet you still call us to joy, not denying those facts, but in light of those facts, we are called to rejoice. Rejoice always, I say it again, rejoice. You've invited us into the practice of defiant joy. We invite this hard and good truth into our lives. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.